to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of speed rock, the show of tales of the cocktail being in San Antonio when there's a massive tiki drum party and so much more. Today's guest is the modern industry legend herself, Miss Lynette Marrero. We recently sat down in San Antonio during the cocktail conference and talked about women in history in cocktails, an interesting topic which I hadn't been too familiar about. We talked about psychology, school, George Clooney, drinking in the 20s, and so much more. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great conversation with Lynette Marrero. I just gave a seminar with um, Megan Dorman, yeah, Misty Kalkofin. <laughs> uh, you can hear her laugh That's in the back. Right. <laughs> uh, Kirsten Amen, and you know we're still talking about the the battle and for women behind the bar it's kind of not an old story it's kind of come through history and yeah. just kind of telling some of the stories of the untold women and i think that's kind of what we've progressed in trying to do is try to shine lights on women in this industry who have been doing great things and here we are eight years later with speed rack and we're still finding new talent and new yeah. women who are incredible and who are enthusiastic and are feeding this industry with so much uh, energy and that's that's pretty amazing to see how sustainable it can be from the amazing talent that mm-hmm. keeps keeps coming up. So let's go past and let's go present. So sure. talking about women's stories from behind the bar, we we know about Jerry Thomas and about Harry Craddock and stuff, but in terms of women historically, who is a notable historical figure? as a female behind the bar. Sure. Um, I mean, one of the women who we know um, is Ada Coleman, Mm. who was at the um, Savoy, uh, the American bar, during Prohibition. So like many bartenders who left, um, you saw uh, she was there tending bar and had a cocktail on the name, the Hanky Panky. She created, and it was actually in the Savoy cocktail book. Um, But she got forced out, you know, after a while, kind of after when they realized, you know, oh, you know, our patrons don't want women behind the bar. So you see it kind of, these women have names and then forced out. Um, some great personalities. Uh, there was uh, Dirty Helen is a great person. Um, she she was uh, in the Midwest, and she had this bar called the Sunflower Inn. Okay. Uh, Megan Dorman talks about her a lot in our, in our seminar, but during Prohibition, she had this bar that had no seats. She just had, like, carpets on the ground. She <laughs> felt like it was an egalitarian space for people, and she was open um, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. and had like a good chicken lunch and got everyone out before it got too rowdy. Um, wow. She was very particular about what she served. She only had like two things behind the bar, like Old Fitz bourbon, uh, would not tolerate the fancy drinks of the day. Um, but she made her money and and, and made uh, this bar happen. Um, That's amazing. And then there's people, um, Helen David, who's a big one. Uh, she is actually Tony Abagaman's, uh aunt and she no way. yeah and okay. she on the brass rail and you know tony always talks about her he actually named the fund the helen david fund because she actually was um a two-time survivor of breast cancer wow. his mentor she was famous for making tom and jerry's um she actually turned their family business from an ice cream shop after prohibition into a bar wow. and it actually saved the business and became a viable income and she bartended there until she was very very old and that's i, I love that that's so great and do you think that people Again, 
despite how educated I want to be. These are still stories that I haven't heard. Absolutely. Do you think that that's pretty common that people don't understand these the the, the folklore oh, that the women power? I mean, we're still reading every time we've done this seminar probably about four or five times. Yeah. Uh, we did it at the Smithsonian a few years ago, and every year we find more and more data, and that's more and more research. And you know, what more the more women we find are, is by finding more records, and the records usually are women who you see them show up in like police records for running an establishment or in these places but you don't see them written about in the newspapers so basically the William Schmitz and you know the Jerry Thomases all got the press and the PR at the time and the women who were bartending were nameless and so you didn't really see much about them and who they were so we have to dig a little deeper, look for records of sales of, of, of liquor and, and those tax, tax, taxes forms. Investigative. Um, investigative is yeah. where you find those. Uh, we found a lot of research that way, and that really helps you find it. So, you know, I, Misty kind of likes to say in our seminar, in the silence yeah. is where you have to look because that means that there's something there that people weren't talking about. And so that's what we try to do with our seminar. Did you, did you have a knack for investigating? I, you like murder <laughs> mysteries? I, mean, that's I do love murder <laughs> mysteries. It's true. Guilty yeah. pleasure. Uh, true crime stories bring They're them the on. They're the best, right? I almost got away with it. They never get away with it. No. Um, <laughs> That's why I've never resulted or resorted to crime. I know. Ever. Like, oh, I can't get away with you it. You can't get away with no. it. Um, but also, you know, I'm very fortunate. Uh, New York City has an incredible public library and yeah. a deep, deep archives. And so um, Dave Wondrich kind of sent me there um, on a path to find stuff. And he's like, go there, go to this room. And I just started digging and finding newspaper articles and court cases and things. So yeah. I have a lot of the research that I do for the, prog- uh, for the project is a lot of finding, you know, women who were putting up cases to kind of earn their right to bartend. So you find that yeah. the women through those stories. Okay, so let's talk about the contrast then, which right. maybe has a different a duality to it, right? So present. Present. We're in a strange place. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> which is an understatement, yeah. right? How do you feel the progress has been for women now while also facing the uphill challenge of a president that is intensely misogynistic? I mean, if you look at the battle, I think what is interesting to see how hospitality, we've been kind of dealing with a lot of this before this came out into the public sphere, you know? That's a good point. Uh, The bar industry was dealing with our own Me Too issues. We were dealing with, you know, predatory behaviors that women were very strong to come out against and band together Mm. and the industry supported. Um, You know, we've had our own struggles of of trying to make sure that there's equal representation and we've we've gotten really far. And I think, you know, What's kind of funny is in the 1980s, bartending and hospitality was the area in which women had gained the most progress in women's rights. Really? And I still see in a lot of ways we do now. That's great. Um, but the places where I do see that we need to keep pushing further is when you still hear stories about, you know, uh, like the spotted pig and Ken Friedman and, and mm-hmm. all of this, these women being silenced in spaces where their power struggles were off. Um, and even when there was a female owner in that situation who was just adhering to the power structure, what we need to do is change the power structures and sure. we need to find more women and get more access to capital. It's, you know, we have women represented. We have women who are being brand ambassadors in spaces. What we need to see is more women in the upper tiers of uh, liquor businesses. Some more equity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Women higher up in the distributors. In the distributor area is a place that is, still lives by a lot of old rules. And I think we need more women there, not just as promo models, not just as sales reps, but we need women kind of at the top starting to make decisions and be having a seat at that table yeah. so that way we can see progress. But absolutely access to capital for more women to become owners of bars and restaurants and then change those 
those communities to see women-owned bars and restaurants in the 50 best bars and restaurants, Absolutely. to see that more represented. You, That's what we want to see. Do you think that lending, and having gone through that process, do you think that the lending has become more egalitarian in the, in the modern times if you were to look I, for a I loan? Or? I still don't think so, no. no. Actually, I, I, I've watched, and maybe it's a bit of how women are taught to ask for money, oh. uh, how we're you know, conditioned, I think, by societal norms. You know, We sure. did a media panel two years ago with Speed Rack, and we, it, was, it was interesting to hear how the journalists talked about when men pitched themselves and then when women pitched themselves, specifically chefs. Yeah, yeah. Men were very confident to say that they were amazing, awesome, incredible, you have to come to my place. And women would say, I really would love if you had time to come check out what I'm doing and, and just had a more passive way. So I oh, think wow. there's a lot of unlearning and relearning how we try to get our seat at the table. I think there's also you know, just not as much opportunity. Um, where are those those financial firms and people who want to invest in women operators? Sure. So I think we need to find that a little bit more. And I, I don't think it's quite as equal. I think we like to think that it is. And yeah. I think if anything, our world is kind of telling us that we've been led into believing that equality is a little more yeah. uh present than it is yeah. um, and we're not just seeing that just with women but with many different um, groups that have not been well represented so you know? with something you absolutely brought to my attention I hadn't thought about this I can be and I'm not pompous it's a bit sure. too strong of work but I can be a little bit confident and I can be with a tinge of arrogance right many men not all men they can <laughs> <laughs> they can betray themselves this way and then it kind of commands a decision but that doesn't mean that women can't do that but for some reason you're saying the innate behavior is to be a little more meek and Submissive in a I sense, think there's right? been a societal norm yeah. and there's been a lear you know, that's I think what you know, and that's what we're all unlearning. It's a lot of unlearning and unpacking things that we've experienced in the past. And yeah. so I think at times, you know, when women tried to to represent themselves that way, they were hit with uh, she's a bitch or, you know, right. all buster, right? Yeah, yeah. All of those words that are negative as opposed sure. to she's really confident. Yeah. She's this and this. So you have women code switching uh, in those environments to not, you ruffle know, feathers in a yeah, way, ruffle right? feathers, not to intimidate yeah. the male ego. And to your point, it's not everyone, but it is, it, it just seems to get into certain areas right now of business. And when you get to a certain level yeah. that we haven't unpacked that, I think, you know, hopefully I'm very optimistic that the next generation is really pushing. I see, I'm so optimistic by seeing the things that the young people in our industry are pushing for sure. the kinds of things that they're responding to the content that they want in seminars and things like that that are mm. pushing boundaries that are getting further to this point because that means things will start changing you see brands reacting to that and sure. starting to offer and it included in their yeah included exactly in, in including the in their strategy because they're like okay yeah. this is what trade wants and that's positive sure. um so we just need to see more of that positivity happen and just really give give more opportunities and uh, safe spaces for you know any group that feels like they can't speak their mind right. to learn those skill sets and feel confident and then to um, express them and start using that in the day-to-day -day. an additional leg or additional armor artillery whatever you want to call it that the companies have now is social and tech sure so do you feel that the technology and the ability to reach people in a succinct way in a deeper way depending on how you leverage social media has that been helpful for the equality or has it been hurtful um i think it's been helpful in having more representation mm. so because people can put their content up content that may have not been seen before yeah. can be seen there's still you know it's hard to get that you know when you look at sometimes that com 
10 isn't equally shared or right. you know with the algorithms as they've started everything starts getting a little tainted again like you're yeah. like oh the algorithms are doing their thing yeah. um i think partially has helped i think partially um it has also hurt in some ways so i think sometimes what social media can't do is is tell tone Oh, okay. um, so I find that sometimes, you know, when really big, important discussions happen on forums like Facebook, where it's just people saying things and saying things and there's so much going on, I right. don't think people are listening to each other and it, and it becomes, it does a disservice to the community mm-hmm. in that way. So I think it's, it's really important at times for people to remember that, you know, yeah, it's really easy to say something like that on a blog, on your Instagram, on your Facebook um, predominantly Facebook because I feel like it's wordy mm-hmm. but if you had to talk to those people in person there's human pe- humans behind those right. things and I've seen behaviors of people online where they write things and, I'm, and I look at them and I'm like that's who, that's, are, who is that person right. why are they acting this way or why yeah. are they saying that are they aware that, of how that sounds when they say it Absolutely. and if, when I have an opportunity if I do know someone I try to bring it to their attention and say hey I, I just want to talk to you about this because this is how it sounded. <laughs> I thought I knew you, man. Oh, exactly. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes they just kind of confirm it or sometimes sure. they're, it just took them needing you to say that. And they're like, oh, Check. I, didn't, I didn't see that I could be seen that way. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what it is. So I kind of find that that's kind of the, the failure of social media is, is not being able to understand tone. You're or, absolutely, no minutia. No minutia. Exactly. The subtleties of human communication uh, is you and know, the de- the details can't themselves. Be it's sure. binary. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not binary. I mean, I'm, I could be in the gray area. I exactly. can feel happy and sad a little bit, right? And we do lose that minutia. But I think that the one vestige of human interaction is the hospitality industry sure. and the bar. And I imagine you have great conversations Absolutely. from. And you know, I have appreciated that social media has made the world smaller. Yeah. Um, how you can really see what's going on all over the world and connect that way. Mm. Um, but I do still urge people to try and find that like way to have human connection and sure. reach out to people. And you know, if you see people that you're, you know, I often do tell talk about this in in mentorship sort of seminars, and mm. I say if there's someone who you're looking up to or something that you see and you want to talk to them, reach out to them, yeah. you know, instant message them and ask them for a little bit of their time. People are a lot more gracious than you would imagine, but you just have to ask. So get, given your stature, right? One might think you're inaccessible, right? You've mm-hmm. done all of this stuff. You, <laughs> Hall of Damer. <laughs> is, that, is that fair to call Hall it? Hall of Damer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all these kinds of things you're presenting with some of the strongest women in the industry. One might think, well, Lynette's off. The, I can't. Oh, she's not going to reply to me. But in fact... You're there, right? No, You're accessible. Absolutely. I've had multiple people reach out and I've had calls with people who are just trying to figure out their way, like yeah. if they're doing consulting or like, hey, I'm just thinking about this idea. How do I get an idea off the ground? I'm like, yeah. sure, let's hop on a quick call and I can send you down some routes or, hey, I'm taking over you know, a national brand ambassador job. I kind of want to just talk to you and pick your brain a little bit about yeah. stuff like that. I'm like, sure, no problem. This, and, it, you this know, chapter is kind of like that, right? Like exactly. this chapter of your life, it's kind of like I've done some things. I'm going to exactly. give back, right? This is the time. You know, now is the time to, you know, for, like I said earlier, for it to be sustainable, yeah. you have to invest in the people that are coming up. And Absolutely. as someone who is, you know, I'm working on bars and restaurants and I'm starting to work with operators mm. more now. And so I see, you know, that there's so much to invest in the people you're bringing in and how, right. you know, offering that time and mentorship and really standing behind what that means. Yeah. Um, I think we, in general, lack, you know, in the, in all of our workforces in the U.S., I think we really lack genuine mentorship in a in a positive way, and I think right. it's so important to to business. And I would love to see you know the see us get better at that as 
as a country, as a sure. nation. Um, but if we can start doing that within the hospitality community, you know, they did mentorship sessions here. That's what I was going to ask Which you was about. awesome. I, I couldn't fly in. Nico asked me to do it, but yeah. I was unfortunately couldn't make it uh, so, so I just talked to him right, kind of right before we started chat about that exact thing. And I said, hey, how is participation? Because if you pay Chris, if Chris Bostic was consulting yeah. you, for instance, right? Yeah. Or, or Pam. Sure. I want to open a bar. Can you consult me for two hours? Yeah. Or even half an hour. Yeah, it's going to be blah, blah, blah money, yeah. right? And so it's this open opportunity for anybody to learn anything and ask anything. Chris, what's your favorite car? Right? Like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm going to jam with you about fish. Yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah. Chris. No. Gonna... <laughs> that would take the whole 20 minutes. Just figuring out. But do you think that people are actually are missing and not seizing the opportunities for free information? I think at times, and I think, you know, partially it's the issue of kind of how our industry is set up in the U.S. It's like, you know, everything. And we're the one, one of the few professions yeah. where 90% of the education is free or accessible, right? So, right. or the trade training, I guess, right? Sure. Everyone else, doctors, everyone else has to pay for it. So I think there tends to be a little bit of taking it for granted. So I think what you'll see is the people who are really looking out and the, and the people who are taking those opportunities, they're going to flourish. Um, and I think that's what I love seeing like about the women I meet through Speed Rack is that they're all eager and they're all taking every opportunity. And we get opportunities offered to us all the time from brands that we can give to our community and we send it to them. And the women who actively go after it um, benefit. Being you know. initiated and self-empowered and kind of motivated, that will get you everywhere. Absolutely. You know, so that, you know, I, I think about you know, your career. Careers don't happen if you just sit there waiting for them to happen to you. Things don't <laughs> just happen to you, right? Like, exactly. I mean, maybe accidents is probably sure. one thing. But yes, success is always built. It's on a brick one by one, by one right? Building this foundation. I, I was trying to put this story together like a narrative. If I was somehow I was going to craft a movie about your <laughs> life, right? And you have a deep interest in people, not only women, but people in general. Sure. And in fact... You even got a degree in psychology at Columbia, right? Yep. <laughs> when did you, was it something, a relationship you had with your, I'm not a counselor. Oh, so no, no worries, yeah. Yeah, the, it's going to sound like that. But was it something that you realized you had a connection with people? You wanted to understand how they worked? Was it something that ran in the family, social work or anything Well, like I'm one of four girls yeah. whose names are Jeanette, Annette, Lynette, and Antoinette. So <laughs> I think I spent my entire life being a part of a group of people. Did you have a, did you have a, a shortcut name? Did you have a uh, nickname? Lynn or Linny. Okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking like... I was surrounded by people like uh, it was not a quiet it's a boisterous Puerto Rican household yeah. so I was always around people and friends and so obviously in that one family alone I could probably psychoanalyze my entire family and four <laughs> people um, and then I did performing in musical theater um, professionally really so that was part of what singer? I was I'm a singer. Yeah, sing. I was a singer who moves. Yeah. <laughs> I see, I can't move. I, I didn't can do sing. the full dancing. I did no. singers who move. I, I had dancing skills where my parents, like, you know, my older sister did the dance school. Uh, I, I've, I pushed for vocal lessons. So anybody, I was getting dance lessons too. <laughs> anybody? No, it's a good point. You get one or the other. That's one or the other. It, right? That was it. Anybody that kind of influenced you musically, maybe that still um, does? I mean, I was a big, like, I loved old movie musicals. Yeah. So I was huge into musical theater. And Man. so, like, high school years, like, Everyone was listening to pop music. I was listening. To, I was like going to see Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis a million times and Miss Saigon. I was like, oh my God, I got to go see it again. Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber yeah. is a star. <laughs> he is. My mom made me listen to that it's stuff all the time. I loved it. Loved it. Uh, yeah. But so I was doing all that stuff and yeah. so kind of very social. Um, and I think that was kind of what intrigued me about people. And, you know, I think what I, when I 
you know, I was doing a lot of off-Broadway and out-of-town pre-Broadway shows. And when I found myself behind the bar, which I never wanted to be the cliche waiter actor, I fought it for years. Sure. Um, and then after 9-11, I was like, oh, yeah, so know what I'm not going to do? Work in corporate offices anymore, temping. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out this waitress bar thing and figure <laughs> got myself a job at a wine bar and just figured it out. Um, and that's where I realized how many, how much interaction you could have with people and how much fun it was to have that you know that salesmanship is all—it's all part of performance and theater and acting. And, it is right. And you have that—that that timing that you have when you're like thinking about making drinks that land at a table with food, or you know, that's a lot. It's—it's it's so much to think about. I think that was kind of what I learned. Do you have characters? <laughs> wine, maybe the sure. wine bar character is a different sure. one than like maybe a whiskey bar character. But definitely, when you got behind the bar, there was definitely a, a place of a character that you got got to see. But yeah. you know, when I worked at Flatiron, it was this beautiful 1940s place. I could kind of dress the era and kind of you know play this character and talk about Clark Gable oh amazing (laughs) but Clara Bow and the It Girls and that kind of like vibe so that's so cool and so I could see how that would constantly make it interesting absolutely it's like a different genre a different movie a different style and the people you know that's what it's about like hospitality you get exposed to many people and characters and your patrons and that hospitality thing, especially what I found behind the bar is when you developed regulars. You yeah. started having people who came in to have conversations with you and, and you got to know a little bit better. So it's, you know, especially in big cities where bars and restaurants become like people's second homes. Right. And they, the ones who are regulars usually often sit at the bar because that's the place where they can come in, you know, have that easy time, eat their meal, and yeah. you get kind of deeper into humanity. So it's a pretty wonderful place to be. It's the cheapest therapy you can get. <laughs> Without a couch. I mean, it's, it's true. It's true. Right? Do you, did you flex those muscles too? Like those kind of problem solves? Oh, I, I understand <laughs> what you're experiencing. Perhaps try this. Or try- I mean, I think it just taught me, uh, my degree in psychology really taught me more about um, understanding a little bit more where people come from and, yeah. and what their underlying um, situations might be, which I think is something that we all need to take a little bit more. Sure. You know, I think it kind of all comes to heart when we look at you know, how we react to things. I think sometimes, you know, we can look at something and think it's one way, mm. but if we kind of look at it from another way, it might be something else. And so that time to that, that time to take to learn a little bit more about what the root of all things are. Sure. You know, someone makes, I think, kind of had this conversation this week, we're at a point of like, you know, trying to find forgiveness in this industry. Like, yeah. even coming out with all this stuff with, you know, Besh and all these people, it's like, all right, well, where's the, Where's the point of forgiveness and how does it start? It's not to give it to any of these people who've right. done it who, if they're not working. They need to be working for it. And some people are not worthy of forgiveness. Yeah. So it's figuring out who is and, and where you do that and how that comes through. That I don't think we've figured it out yet. Right? We haven't. And that's, we, we, and that's the hardest thing to do, right? Yeah. It's the hardest thing to, to try to find the humanity again and, and go back it, and the right? empathy. Um, but that's something I think it's good to work on. You know, it's kind of, you know, try to... Not that everyone is deserving of it, you know, not everyone, but I I prefer to try to work through and see some things and, you know, if I know that, if I can see that somebody has, you know, maybe they just need to learn to unpack things and probably no one told them yet, like, hey, this behaviors that you exhibit are hurtful to people and you don't see it. And they have two responses. They can be like, well, I don't care. And then you can write that person off and be like, well, you're a horrible person. Or they could think about it and say, oh... I didn't think about that. I'm going to work on it. Denial, so. right? So it's like sure. being self-aware. So I agree with you. And it's, it's a, it's a head-scratcher sometimes. Sure. 
when people are so arrogantly fixing their ways and don't believe they did any wrong, although they probably did, and it could be construed multiple ways, that's a problem. And I think that that's what's going to destroy the careers of a few notable actors. Sure. But at the same time, there's still, I, I feel like we have such a hard time understanding. And to, back to your point about empathy, I think we're flawed. And if you can't allow us to get better, then how can anybody get better? Sure. You know, because we all fuck up. Oh, of course. Everybody. And I, and I, I think it's a, you know, kind of that thing of like always trying to save face. It's like right. the thing, the biggest kind of lesson I've learned, the, you know, the more and the longer my career has is that when you mess up to say, I messed up yeah, and I'm sorry and reach out for help. If it's something you need help with the fix, yeah. there's so much more strength in asking for help than there is in not. Um, it was kind of an anecdote in a meeting I had last week with my, my team at the llama team and the owner was in finance and he, you know, he's like, when I made partner, the, the, you know, the chairman of the company told, he's like, if you guys need help, ask me for help. It's not a weakness. I will be there for you. Like, don't, you don't need to play this brave face, have this machismo, like you you don't need help. That is the more strength. Because if you have this client that you've been working with and they are just not responding to you because they need to see the old gray hair guy, it's like, you do what you need to do and then call me in and ask me for the help and I'll go seal it. That's yeah. not a weakness. I'm not thinking you can't do your job. And I actually think leader. you're better. That's, exactly. That's a great leader because you have to be humble and part of humility is understanding that you don't know everything yep. and there's no way you could. And I think, how do you feel about that element in the industry where there are lots of experts? Sure. But there's lots of people using that knowledge as kind of a way over someone else. Yeah. So you, you, did you get that sometimes? Yeah. I do. And, and I, you know, I think none of us know everything. We can only yeah. present what we've learned. And, I, you know, I, it is frustrating. I think the, there needs to be more people who are um, invited to share different perspectives. Yeah. So there's not one way to teach any subject that we have, you right. know. So some people might be rum experts, whatever, whatever. But there might be other ways of teaching that. Um, and I and I agree with you. It's not a knowledge is not something that should be used as a suppression tool. It should be used as a tool that raises more people up with you. Absolutely, communal tool. Yep. Right. Like whiskey. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, did you stop singing? Um, I I did, and I miss it. I mean, I do still every once in a while. Yeah. I'll sing, or you know, I think like my dream someday is like. To have like my upscale piano bar where like I just you know it's a classy little joint yeah. and people can have fun and sing and on the piano and then I you know get my time like here comes mama she's gonna sing her song and I go I do it and I'm back behind like that would be my dream retirement bar I, I like that <laughs> I, I'm available as a pianist great just saying <laughs> I I can be was it Jeff Bridges that played piano in the uh, Fabulous yeah. Baker Boys I yes. think so right and then Michelle Pfeiffer on the that it'll be that kind of thing uh, no romance <laughs> All professional, all the time. So, through this journey, you've worked in many of the kind of legendary New York establishments. You've rallied the, the community of women in bartending, which is great. So, in 2011, you and Ivy start yep. Speed Rack. Was there a moment or was there an impetus where you're thinking, no, I, we have to do this now. This is absolutely necessary. Um, you know, I had started around in 2008 yeah. when I started um I started as a full-time brand ambassador. It's my first brand ambassador job. And so what that meant was I had to get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, you get this list of bars that you have to go to. And I started frequenting bars that weren't my normal crew. You know, not all the people I, that I was, you know, bartending with. Mm. And that led me to finding and discovering, you know, women behind some of these bars. And I was like, wow, 
She's an amazing bartender. One of those women was Erin uh, Reese, who's a bartender in New York. She's at Banza Bar, which okay. is above Freeman's Restaurant, which I worked at years ago. And she was working at the time at Louis 649, which is now the current Mace. Okay. And she was working there, and she was actually working on her Tales of the Cocktails submission yeah. or, you know, like her drink. And I came in to, like, do a little spend because they were using a lot of the brand that I was working for. And um, she let me taste the drink that she was working on, and I gave her a, little, a couple little comments. And I was just like, she is so awesome. This woman is amazing. Why don't I know her name? Why mm-hmm. didn't I know her before? And so I had known Misty um, and the group of Lupec and Kitty, and they had Lupec Boston. I had met them at Tales. And I was like, well, why don't I start at Lupec New York and start bringing all these women in? And that led me to meeting Ivy, who mm-hmm. was struggling to get in behind the bar and that led to speed rack and so i was already on that trajectory and then after we did that first event it was so successful it was scrappy you know we relied on all of our friends and asked everyone to kind of believe in us with this crazy idea asked all these girls like please do this competition they're like you're crazy but okay fine we'll do it and it was just the energy was so electric and the and we're like all right well we have to do this let's go on this tour one, so something, to, I'm not sure if anybody's told you this, probably, but maybe not. So I've interviewed at least three or four winners, oh, awesome. whether regional or national, right? <laughs> and when we start talking about speed rack, it gets really heartfelt. And these women felt so connected to the cause and they felt so challenged by the event itself yeah. and the task <laughs> and being put under pressure by your peers. It is always a tear-jerking moment. <laughs> it's intense. It's, yeah. And I it's watch like, them do it, and I'm like, wow, I wish I was that brave yeah. when I was their age, because they are just fearlessly jumping up there. I'm like, wow, and that emotion does. It gets to you. You're like, <laughs> Yeah, I've choked many people up. And what I like about it, though, is that it starts in a place, to your point, like an indie rock band playing in a garage, <laughs> right? No money. Yeah. People are, are. like, shut up. Like, get out of the garage, right? Get a curfew and all that. But it's now seemingly taken a life on its own it's grown to be something it's growing internationally we you know we're constantly turning down countries i mean like we're not ready yet um but we're expanding we're doing mexico this year um with barra mexico in june uh, around june 8th where where in mexico on in uh in the mexico city so um barra mexico is a conference that it's now in its uh, second or third year um run by women they're amazing it is very successful and they really lobby to bring speed rack there this year so we're going to do it with them um and it's pretty incredible and then we're uh planning to go back to australia asia and then south america i I mean and canada we always do canada (laughs) the whole thing asia is is a huge burgeoning spirits culture that's kind of because in china for instance they're finally like the gloves are off and they can be creative without getting slapped on the hand you know sure and so you see this culture just changing so it's globally becoming something with women behind the bars and that creativity that I'm so excited to see it massively rise up. And in a way, the obstacles in the hospitality industry are far fewer than they are. We were just talking about tech America earlier, right? Like, there's so many barriers for certain types of people and certain races, certain sexes. But in a sense, hospitality to me, equal opportunity lender, in a sense. Right? I'm, well, you know, it's equal opportunity in the way that, you know, the hours can be for anyone that's you know right. that's so that's right. yeah. that's what happens you know yeah. you can you can use your schedule wisely to suit your lifestyle you yeah. know i think there's still a lot of progress we need to go on to help support women who want to have be have families yeah. um within the hospitality especially bartenders i think once it gets to that point i think some some of them feel like they have to get out i i see a lot of the young women now though really 
going for it. You know, there's several moms in in San Francisco who are are doing it. They're That's bartending. Great. They're having kids, and they're making it happen. But it's it's not easy. There isn't you know, there aren't great policies of, for healthcare behind the bars, which you know affects women more. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, for the male bartenders, they can be a dad a little bit easier than it is for agree, a woman for sure. and. You know, so I think trying to figure out those systems, I and mean, that's that's a that's a bigger issue, obviously nationally, that we have to work out about yeah. how we, you know, support um, our healthcare systems to support the communities that need it. Right. Um, What's so. the, what do you think is the best mechanism? So Speedback is building a community of people wanting to work together and to challenge each other. But when you talk about more social issues, more operational stuff like healthcare, sure. what is the right mechanism to try to drive change? You know, I don't know. It's been really hard. Like I know that we, you know. There's been times that they've we've tried through the USBG to make it happen, and that was complicated. I don't know if like maybe now that you know the country's changing a little bit, that might be easier. Mm. Um, I think a lot of the systems that are placed on independent restaurants and bars makes it complicated the business models. Right. So the only ones that can kind of follow those structures are um, big national accounts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see that the independent operator is being. Um, pushed and pushed in a lot of ways to make up the pay gap and make up things when there has to be other creative ways to spread that increase amongst all the players who are making money off of this. So whether that's some sort of, you know, income coming from the spirits brands and distributors who are also, you know, they haven't had any increases, but yet the minimum wage is going up for the people who are buying the alcohol. So how do we look at those systems and structures and say, all right, well, how are they working together to help support this? Because they're increasing revenue and the operators are just losing revenue. Um, So I think it's a a big, deep discussion we have to kind of figure out and do some more research on on how those systems are working. So, you know, I look at this, it's a systemic problem, obviously, but at least changing the behaviors and the acceptance and all that, that's something that drives change organically, which is really good. Obviously, money drives it more quickly, but... That's going to be the way that it is. But for you, people look up to you, you know, and I know, but again, you, you're making your time available. You want to be able to be a mentor and all of this stuff, which I think is really what makes that important that you're in this kind of role, if you will. But when you think about politics, mm-hmm. something on a more national scale or a hyper local scale, do you ever consider getting into that field and working in the. <laughs> uh, it's been thought about, yeah. but I, I think, I don't know if I'd. Uh, if I go that far, yeah. I think I like making the change. Um, I think the kind of change I'm really working on is maybe if I can have more of an effect on the the, the places where I've been given access, granted access. So yeah. the more I can talk to the brands that hire me for consulting and, and give them awareness on what's really happening and how they can help improve the lives for the trade that they really want to connect with sure. um, and with operators and talking to them a bit more and like helping to start change some systems. I'm part of a a new charity group called the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, RWCF. Mm-hmm. And we just uh, just started in, we were officially incorporated in, in October or November. Great. We did our launch party, Giving Tuesday. And um, we are looking at those systems, trying to see how we can divert some funds and use our resources, our access to uh, places to get some money to look into research on mm-hmm. you know, things such as the tipping and all those things kind of really dissecting those issues that are a really big topic hit, hit topics you know I, I find that like the tipping to me is like one of the hardest topics yeah. to really weigh in I see both sides I see absolutely both sides of the whole conversation mm-hmm. and I do see how the independent operators really struggle and so what can we do to like alleviate that for everyone because 
you know, consumers reach a point of not wanting to pay more. Right. So if you're constantly passing it off to the consumer, the only person who loses in that situation is the operator. Sure. Because we're going to get fed up, right? We're just like, I well, don't they're just not going to make their margins. The rents keep going up right. and all those things. So they're not going to be able to sustain it either. So the other piece of that, beyond the politics question, right? You're bound to want to write about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I met like... You go through this conference, and I don't, I don't say this passively or, you know, with, without some level of seriousness, but people are writing books. Yeah. And it's pretty regular, and there's more and more books coming out. But no one's really wrote an analysis of this industry. Sure. In that concept of equality, lack thereof, the operational and financial challenges, too. Is it something that potentially <laughs> interests you? You're already in talks, Potentially. Aren't you? I mean, I'm like... <laughs> I, I have watched all my friends write books. Yeah. And I know it takes an extraordinary amount of work. So I'm like, uh, give up time doing the work to write about the work. <laughs> you know, that's where I struggle it's with. It's like going backwards, isn't it? It is it's a like little you bit. Academic, uh, academic you know, I need a great ghostwriter or someone yeah. who can just write all down. Be like, I'll just, I'll just talk at you and tell you everything. Can you make it sound good? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably how a lot of these books work. Probably. But. I know a ghostwriter for hire. He's also a pianist. <laughs> Look at that. It's, it's, a, Multi- it's a match <laughs> made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's there's so many challenges in this industry and I think you're tackling them and you have a good support group that helps you do that you're at the forefront of education you know here in San Antonio cocktail conference so let's make it light for a second right <laughs> sorry everybody but you know let's make it light these are important things to discuss though but you already wanted to meet George Clooney which I agree right <laughs> Let's go. Can we go? Classic? I almost met him too. Almost. Oh met man, him. really? He was on a shoot. My husband was the art, art directing, creative directing this shoot, and I was in the Hollywood Hills, and I was like on my way to drive up there because I was in LA. Oh man. And then like a whole thing happened on the shoot, and he's like, "Abort mission. You cannot come here right now. Like oh, no. clients are here." And and it was actually really funny because uh, it's actually like George wanted to stay in character, and he wanted to say a certain line in uh-huh. Italian. And the client's like, no, he needs to say it in English. And he was like, no, my character would say it in Italian. So it was kind of funny because oh, like, he insisted. <laughs> and I respected that, but I was like, no. At the sake of not meeting that George? scene, I could have met him. You know you're going to meet him again. <laughs> and it will be like a really nice, <laughs> you guys get to sit down and chat kind of thing. I'll just like work on be like, Casamigos, how much do I need in my restaurants to pour to meet George Clooney? <laughs> <laughs> It's. I hear it's. Uh, it's quite a bit, but I don't know. I'm it's, sure. hard, it's hard to say. I'm sure. I'm sure. I haven't seen him anywhere, and I'm sure. It's, and I see it killing it places. Yeah, I mean, that's a yeah whole other piece of the industry. <laughs> yeah. it's interesting acquisition talk. We'll talk about that at yeah. some point. But so I'm. I'm thinking 50s actors or actresses. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because I love classic cinema. I even like the, the really grungy 70s cinema too, like Dennis Hopper. That like. Ugh. Yeah. Right. But so one, you could anybody in the 50s. Sure. And you can sit down and have a drink with them. Not what would you drink, but like you get a neat spirit. Because I, I, I didn't know if oh, you were a, an agave person or a brandy person or a rum person. But who would it be and what might you just kind of sit um, and eat? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a big lover. I mean, I love agave. Yeah. Um, and then I love rum. Uh, you know, those are my kind of neat go-to. I appreciate whiskey and all the other things. But when I, those are the two things that I really gravitate sure. towards. Um, but I guess if it'd be at that time, it'd be Rita Hayworth. Oh man! Okay. Of Rita Hayworth, yeah. you know, uh, not many people know that she was Mexican. She was. She was Mexican, yeah. And I got so, this look on my face. Yeah. Utter I mean, surprise. She, you know, and that was a time in Hollywood where there's, you know, like I'm Puerto Rican, and and 
you know, I knew what it was like growing up to like not meet people's expectations of what someone who's Puerto Rican looks like. Yeah. You know, so you're like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I think we you're can look getting like everything. You're getting all of the applause for the Puerto Rican bit out there. It was like, <laughs> Woo! what Sit would you be sipping? Um, just spirit wise. I, mean, I mean, back then, I mean, if I'm going time period appropriate, it was probably like I'm like she'd probably be. We had great whiskey back then so yeah. it probably would have been a whiskey because I think she was kind of badass and strong so we'd probably be drinking a whiskey or we'd be having a martini and like I, good old classic martinis absolutely. I don't want to ruin the moment but could I go and hang out too because <laughs> like I just did just uh, to like see you guys uh, there's a, a whole like story about her she was a young dancer back in the day yeah. um, actually one of the shows I auditioned like for off Broadway years ago was a kind of about like a loose story based on young Rita Hayworth oh, and no kind kidding. of like the challenges she went through like getting through like you know, from from Mexico and and then coming here, and she was a dancer, and her father was a dancer. So there's like all these history stories about That's her. So cool. Um, so you find that and then she made it in Hollywood, and she was just like the most Knockout. beautiful, glamorous, yeah. strong, you know, personality. It's like very close to her and Ava Gardner because Ava Gardner also like oh yeah like took no shit. She dated like all the like top guys. Did she know? really? Oh yeah, Clark Gable, Frank Sinatra, but she like wore the pants. She's like. <laughs> They were all obsessed with her, and she was just like, "Whatever." That's amazing. She had a lot of power in her in her. Um, I didn't realize that. Strength, so. Oh wait, do I hear it? Again? Is this another drum? Oh, or yeah, tiki erotica. Sorry, no. Exotica. exotica. I mean, they should. This is this is massive thing. This is what this conference has turned into, right? Yeah, I think it's Barbin Court. I'm guessing. Oh, I see. <laughs> guessing. Well, so the last question I've got for you is. Well, not do you want to join and play drums? Because I kind of like go out there just to kind of... Anyway, what's next now? So you're heading back to New York? I head back to New York. Uh, next week, I'm back in Texas. Oh. We have Speed Rack uh, oh, that's right. Southwest, uh, Southeast. So uh, we're doing it in Houston. Um, so I'll be right back here. Yeah. Um, go back, kind of keep working on things at the restaurant that I'm opening uh, called Lama Sun. Mm. Uh, it's a Nikkei Peruvian um, oh. Japanese uh, concept. Really? So it's been great. Actually, there were a couple of Japanese seminars here, so I kind of popped in and see the shochu and yes. um, it's a Japanese good, yeah, whiskey, Brian which is great. Brian is from Austin. Yeah. Loves that stuff. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm like, totally want to geek out with him and be like, yeah. oh my goodness, have you tried this one? Um, but it's great seeing all that stuff happening. Um, but yeah, so I'm learning. I'm learning again. You keep learning. So yeah. I'm like, all right, new challenge. Learn about a whole new category. Challenge, yeah. That fits in with what I'm doing. And then, um, I mean, we finish out. We have pretty much a speed rack every two weeks for the next three months. Mm-hmm. So I'll be doing all that while opening the bar. Amazing. And, uh, you get enough sleep? I sleep all right. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I, I get it all done. Yeah. I just, I, but yeah, I, I'm all right. I you look well rested, so yeah, well like, done I'm, on I'm that. I'm pretty yeah. good at it. Like you know, like good exercise. Try to eat well. Yeah. You know, you keep everything else in balance, and I think you can. You know, I don't really have time for hangovers these days. So it's you know, exactly right. It's like you know, get a couple of glasses of wine or you know, a cocktail or two, but like That's it. drink lots of water and be like, ah, oh, no time for that. Yeah. Gotta wake up early and get cracking. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go out last night, yeah. but I had to do these interviews because I wanted to be here present in the moment. And you know what? Exactly. It's always better when I'm not hungover, right? Exactly. No, so. Likewise. That you're a little, a little clarity in the morning yeah. is a really good thing. And I, I started really realizing kind of, you know, the, the earlier you get up, you get those nice like hour and a half of uninterrupted emails. Oh, yeah. So you're like get, getting to just clear out the inbox before everyone starts sending it all back your way and then yeah. start being completely inefficient. So. You know what? Balance, not being hungover. 
Rita Hayworth, this is good. This is a good moment. Lynette, this is brilliant chatting with you. And, you know, we met just loosely years, yeah. years ago. And it's good to see you again. I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here in Thank San Antonio. You. Welcome back Leave to tomorrow Houston morning again. if there's no storm or else I'm uh, going to head out to the cowboy dance hall and get a, get my two-step on. <laughs> Why is every, all right, this is the second interview today that someone's like, I just want to go two-step. And I'm like, where am I? This is good. Anyway. I'm wearing my cowboy boots. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Well, yeah, you should probably do that. My husband's from Wyoming, so oh, I've been, I've been no indoctrinated way. into the Western world of uh, things. <laughs> one, so last thing, one challenge, and don't make it a drinking game. Maybe okay. like sip a topo sure. or something. Count the number of cowboy hats you see. Oh. This is the new style artifact this year. I cannot I recall see. seeing this many cowboy hats. Yeah, I mean the Stetsons have really gotten popular with like the hipsters, so they're That's looking right. like the, the shorter brim. Yes, they're, they're you're good. right, the shorter yeah. brim. But no Wranglers, so they haven't gone that no far. No Wranglers, no. I think Levi is still like, is like the acceptable kind of, you know. Wrangler, Wranglers, you got to head back towards Wyoming or somewhere yeah. like Idaho. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a little more Wrangler country. Really. Wrangler country, indeed. So that, thank you so much for taking the time out. I hope You're we welcome. keep in touch. And, it's great. You know, have a good rest of the stay in Texas. Right, yeah? Thank you. Thank you. So there we have it, talking about speed rack, talking about women in the history of cocktails, talking about women and diversity now in the current state of hospitality. Lots of interesting challenges, lots of interesting opportunities. And Lynette is an amazing personality, mind, and just persona to be in this conversation, helping align people, helping us collaborate. So Lynette, thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me. And thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many microphones you're looking at right now and so many different configurations with so many different wires, or if you're thinking, why do these third-party print cartridges that I bought from my printer not work, Amazon? Please, keep dancing.